Question 83, Part 3 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues, The Virtue of Justice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues, the Virtue of Justice, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 83 of Prayer in 17 Articles, Part 3, Articles 13 through 17. Thirteenth Article, Whether Attention is a Necessary Condition of Prayer. Objection 1. It would seem that attention is a necessary condition of prayer. It is written in John 4.24, God is a spirit, and they that adore him must adore him in spirit and in truth. But prayer is not in spirit, unless it be attentive. Therefore, attention is a necessary condition of prayer. Objection to further. Prayer is the ascent of the mind to God, according to Damascene in On the True Faith 324. But the mind does not ascend to God if the prayer is inattentive. Therefore, attention is a necessary condition of prayer. Objection 3 further. It is a necessary condition of prayer that it should be altogether sinless. Now if a man allows his mind to wander while praying, he is not free of sin, for he seems to make light of God. Even as if he were to speak to another man without attending to what he was saying. Hence Basil says that the divine assistance is to be implored not lightly, nor with a mind wandering hither and thither, because he that prays thus not only will not obtain what he asks, Nay, rather, will he provoke God to anger. Therefore, it would seem a necessary condition of prayer that it should be attentive. On the contrary, even holy men sometimes suffer from a wandering of the mind when they pray, according to Psalm 39, verse 13. My heart hath forsaken me. I answer that. This question applies chiefly to vocal prayer. Accordingly, we must observe that a thing is necessary in two ways. First, a thing is necessary because thereby the end is better obtained, and thus attention is absolutely necessary for prayer. Secondly, a thing is said to be necessary when without it something cannot obtain its effect. Now the effect of prayer is threefold. The first is an effect which is common to all acts quickened by charity, and this is merit. In order to realize this effect, it is not necessary that prayer should be attentive throughout, because the force of the original intention with which one sets about praying renders the whole prayer meritorious, 
as is the case with other meritorious acts. The second effect of prayer is proper thereto, and consists in impetration. And again, the original intention to which God looks chiefly suffices to obtain this effect. But if the original intention is lacking, prayer lacks both merit and impetration, because, as Gregory says, God hears not the prayer of those who pay no attention to their prayer. The third effect of prayer is that which it produces at once. This is the spiritual refreshment of the mind, and for this effect attention is a necessary condition. Wherefore it is written in 1 Corinthians 14.14, 14, If I pray in a tongue, my understanding is without fruit. It must be observed, however, that there are three kinds of attention that can be brought to vocal prayer, one which attends to the words, lest we say them wrong, another which attends to the sense of the words, and a third which attends to the end of prayer, namely, God, and to the thing we are praying for. The last kind of attention is most necessary and even idiots are capable of it. Moreover, this attention, whereby the mind is fixed on God, is sometimes so strong that the mind forgets all other things, as Hugh of St. Victor states. Reply to Objection 1. To pray in spirit and in truth is to set about praying through the instigation of the spirit, even though afterwards the mind wander through weakness. Reply to Objection 2. The human mind is unable to remain aloft for long on account of the weakness of nature, because human weakness weighs down the soul to the level of inferior things. And hence it is that when, while praying, the mind ascends to God by contemplation, of a sudden it wanders off through weakness. Reply to Objection 3. Purposely to allow one's mind to wander in prayer is sinful and hinders the prayer from having fruit. It is against this that Augustine says in his rule, When you pray God with psalms and hymns, let your mind attend to that which your lips pronounce but to wander in mind unintentionally does not deprive prayer of its fruit. Hence Basil says in his Constitutions, If you are so truly weakened by sin that you are unable to pray attentively, strive as much as you can to curb yourself, and God will pardon you, seeing that you are unable to stand in his presence in a becoming manner, not through negligence, but through frailty. Fourteenth Article. Whether Prayer Should Last a Long Time. Objection 1. It would seem that prayer should not be continual. It is written in Matthew 6-7, When you are praying, speak not much. Now one who prays a long time needs to speak much, especially if his be a vocal prayer. Therefore, prayer should not last a long time. 
objection to further prayer expresses the desire now a desire is all the holier according as it is centered on one thing according to psalm twenty six four one thing i have asked of the lord this will i seek after therefore the shorter prayer is the more is it acceptable to god objection three further it seems to be wrong to transgress the limits fixed by god especially in matters concerning divine worship according to exodus nineteen twenty one charge the people lest they should have a mind to pass the limits to see the lord and a very great multitude of them should perish but god has fixed for us the limits of prayer by instituting the lord's prayer in matthew six therefore it is not right to prolong our prayer beyond its limits on the contrary it would seem that we ought to pray continually for our lord said in luke eighteen one we ought always to pray and not to faint and it is written in first thessalonians five seventeen pray without ceasing i answer that we may speak about prayer in two ways first by considering it in itself secondly considering it in its cause the cause of prayer is the desire of charity from which prayer ought to arise and this desire ought to be in us continually either actually or virtually for the virtue of this desire remains in whatever we do out of charity and we ought to do all things to the glory of god according to first corinthians ten thirty one from this point of view prayer ought to be continual wherefore augustine says in his letter to proba faith hope and charity are by themselves a prayer of continual longing but prayer considered in itself cannot be continual because we have to be busy about other works and as augustine says again in his letter to proba we pray to god with our lips at certain intervals and seasons in order to admonish ourselves by means of such like signs to take note of the amount of our progress in that desire and to arouse ourselves more eagerly to an increase thereof now the quantity of a thing should be commensurate with its end for instance the quantity of the dose should be commensurate with health and so it is becoming that prayer should last long enough to arouse the fervor of the interior desire and when it exceeds this measure so that it cannot be continued any longer without causing weariness it should be discontinued wherefore augustine says again it is said that the brethren in egypt make frequent but very short prayers rapid ejaculations as it were lest that vigilant and erect attention which is so necessary in prayer slacken and languish through the strain being prolonged by so doing they make it sufficiently clear 
not only that this attention must not be forced if we are unable to keep it up, but also that if we are able to continue, it should not be broken off too soon. And just as we must judge of this in private prayers by considering the attention of the person praying, so too, in public prayers, we must judge of it by considering the devotion of the people. Reply to Objection 1 As Augustine says in his letter to Proba, to pray with many words is not the same as to pray long. To speak long is one thing, to be devout long is another. For it is written that our Lord passed the whole night in prayer, and that he prayed the longer in order to set us an example. Further on he says, When praying, say little, yet pray much so long as your attention is fervent. For to say much in prayer is to discuss your need in too many words, whereas to pray much is to knock at the door of him we pray, by the continuous and devout clamor of the heart. Indeed, this business is frequently done with groans rather than with words, with tears rather than with speech. Reply to Objection 2 Length of prayer consists not in praying for many things, but in the affections persisting in the desire of one thing. Reply to Objection 3 our Lord instituted this prayer, not that we might use no other words when we pray, but that in our prayers we might have none but these things in view, no matter how we express them or think of them. Reply to Objection 4 One may pray continually, either through having a continual desire as stated above, or through praying at certain fixed times, though interruptedly, or by reason of the effect, whether in the person who prays, because he remains more devout even after praying, or in some other person, as when by his kindness a man incites another to pray for him, even after he himself has ceased praying. Fifteenth Article Whether Prayer is Meritorious Objection 1. It would seem that prayer is not meritorious. All merit proceeds from grace. But prayer precedes grace, since even grace is obtained by means of prayer, according to Luke 11.13. How much more will your Father from heaven give the good spirit to them that ask him? Therefore, prayer is not a meritorious act. Objection to further. If prayer merits anything, this would seem to be chiefly that which is besought in prayer. Yet it does not always merit this, because even the saints' prayers are frequently not heard. Thus Paul was not heard when he besought the sting of the flesh to be removed from him. Therefore, prayer is not a meritorious act. Objection 3 further. Prayer is based chiefly on faith, according to James 1.6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. 
now faith is not sufficient for merit as instanced in those who have lifeless faith therefore prayer is not a meritorious act on the contrary a gloss on the words of psalm thirty four thirteen my prayer shall be turned into my bosom explains them as meaning if my prayer does not profit them yet shall not i be deprived of my reward now reward is not due save to merit therefore prayer is meritorious i answer that as stated above in article thirteen prayer besides causing spiritual consolation at the time of praying has a twofold efficacy in respect of a future effect namely efficacy in meriting and efficacy in impetrating now prayer like any virtuous act is efficacious in meriting because it proceeds from charity as its root the proper object of which is the eternal good that we merit to enjoy yet prayer proceeds from charity through the medium of religion of which prayer is an act as stated above in article three and with the concurrence of other virtues requisite for the goodness of prayer notably humility and faith for the offering of prayer itself to god belongs to religion while the desire for the thing that we pray to be accomplished belongs to charity faith is necessary in reference to god to whom we pray that is we need to believe that we can obtain from him what we seek humility is necessary on the part of the person praying because he recognizes his neediness devotion too is necessary but this belongs to religion for it is its first act and a necessary condition of all its secondary acts as stated above in question eighty two articles one and two as to its efficacy in impetrating prayer derives this from the grace of god to whom we pray and who instigates us to pray wherefore augustine says in a homily he would not urge us to ask unless he were willing to give and chrysostom says he never refuses to grant our prayers since in his loving-kindness he urged us not to faint in praying reply to objection one neither prayer nor any other virtuous act is meritorious without sanctifying grace and yet even that prayer which impetrates sanctifying grace proceeds from some grace as from a gratuitous gift since the very act of praying is a gift of god as augustine states in on perseverance twenty three reply to objection to sometimes the merit of prayer regards chiefly something distinct from the object of one's petition for the chief object of merit is beatitude whereas the direct object of the petition of prayer extends sometimes to certain other things as stated above in article six and seven accordingly if this other thing that we ask for ourselves be not useful for our beatitude we do not merit it 
and sometimes by asking for and desiring such things we lose merit for instance if we ask of god the accomplishment of some sin which would be an impious prayer and sometimes it is not necessary for our salvation nor yet manifestly contrary thereto and then although he who prays may merit eternal life by praying yet he does not merit to obtain what he asks for hence augustine says he who faithfully prays god for the necessaries of this life is both mercifully heard and mercifully not heard for the physician knows better than the sick man what is good for the disease for this reason too paul was not heard when he prayed for the removal of the sting in his flesh because this was not expedient if however we pray for something that is useful for our beatitude through being conducive to salvation we merit it not only by praying but also by doing other good deeds therefore without any doubt we receive what we ask for yet when we ought to receive it since certain things are not denied us but are deferred that they may be granted at a suitable time according to augustine and again this may be hindered if we persevere not in asking for it wherefore basil says the reason why sometimes thou hast asked and not received is because thou hast asked amiss either inconsistently or lightly or because thou hast asked for what was not good for thee or because thou hast ceased asking since however a man cannot condignly merit eternal life for another as stated above in the pars prima secunde question 114 article 6 it follows that sometimes one cannot condignly merit for another thing that pertain to eternal life for this reason we are not always heard when we pray for others as stated above in article 7 second and third replies hence it is that four conditions are laid down namely to ask for ourselves things necessary for salvation piously and perseveringly when all these four concur we always obtain what we ask for reply to objection three prayer depends chiefly on faith not for its efficacy in meriting because it thus depends chiefly on charity but for its efficacy in impetrating because it is through faith that man comes to know of god's omnipotence and mercy which are the source whence prayer impetrates what it asks for sixteenth article whether sinners impetrate anything from god by their prayers objection one it would seem that sinners impetrate nothing from god by their prayers it is written in john nine thirty one we know that god doth not hear sinners and this agrees with the saying of proverbs twenty eight verse nine he that turneth away his ears from hearing the law his prayer shall be an abomination now an abominable prayer 
impetrates nothing from God. Therefore, sinners impetrate nothing from God. Objection to further. The just impetrate from God what they merit, as stated above in Article 15, Second Reply. But sinners cannot merit anything, since they lack grace and charity, which is the power of godliness, according to a gloss on Second Timothy 3, 5 having an appearance indeed of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And so their prayer is impious, and yet piety is required in order that prayer may be impetrative, as stated above in Article 15, Second Reply. Therefore, sinners impetrate nothing by their prayers. Objection 3 further. Chrysostom says in a homily, the father is unwilling to hear the prayer which the son has not inspired now in the prayer inspired by christ we say forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us and sinners do not fulfill this therefore either they lie in saying this and so are unworthy to be heard or if they do not say it, they are not heard, because they do not observe the form of prayer instituted by Christ. On the contrary, Augustine says in his commentary on the Gospel of John, If God were not to hear sinners, the publican would have vainly said, Lord, be merciful to me a sinner. And Chrysostom says in a homily, Everyone that asketh shall receive, that is to say, whether he be righteous or sinful. I answer that. In the sinner, two things are to be considered, his nature which God loves, and the sin which he hates. Accordingly, when a sinner prays for something as sinner, that is, in accordance with a sinful desire, God hears him not through mercy, but sometimes through vengeance, when he allows the sinner to fall yet deeper into sin. For God refuses in mercy what he grants in anger, as Augustine declares. On the other hand, God hears the sinner's prayer if it proceed from a good natural desire, not out of justice, because the sinner does not merit to be heard, but out of pure mercy, provided, however, he fulfill the four conditions given above, namely, that he beseech for himself things necessary for salvation, piously and perseveringly. Reply to Objection 1 As Augustine states in his Commentary on the Gospel of John, these words were spoken by the blind man before being anointed, that is, perfectly enlightened, and consequently lack authority. And yet there is truth in the saying if it refers to a sinner as such, in which sense also the sinner's prayer is said to be an abomination. Reply to Objection 2 There can be no godliness in the sinner's prayer as though his prayer were quickened 
by a habit of virtue. And yet his prayer may be godly in so far as he asks for something pertaining to godliness. Even so, a man who has not the habit of justice is able to will something just, as stated above in question 59, article 2. And though his prayer is not meritorious, it can be impetrative, because merit depends on justice, whereas impetration rests on grace. Reply to Objection 3. As stated above in Article 7, First Reply, the Lord's Prayer is pronounced in the common person of the whole Church, and so if anyone say the Lord's Prayer while unwilling to forgive his neighbor's trespasses, he lies not, although his words do not apply to him personally, for they are true as referred to the person of the Church, from which he is excluded by merit, and consequently he is deprived of the fruit of his prayer. Sometimes, however, a sinner is prepared to forgive those who have trespassed against him, wherefore his prayers are heard, according to Ecclesiasticus 28, verse 2. Forgive thy neighbor if he hath hurt thee, and then shall thy sins be forgiven to thee when thou prayest. Seventeenth article. Whether the parts of prayer are fittingly described as supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Objection 1. It would seem that the parts of prayer are unfittingly described as supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Supplication would seem to be a kind of adjuration. Yet according to Origen, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, says, A man who wishes to live according to the Gospel need not adjure another, for if it be unlawful to swear, it is also unlawful to adjure. Therefore, supplication is unfittingly reckoned a part of prayer. Objection to further, according to Damascene in On the True Faith 324, to pray is to ask becoming things of God. Therefore, it is unfitting to distinguish prayers from intercessions. Objection 3 further. Thanksgivings regard the past, while the others regard the future. But the past precedes the future. Therefore, thanksgivings are unfittingly placed after the others. On the contrary, suffices the authority of the Apostle in 1 Timothy 2.1. I answer that three conditions are requisite for prayer. First, that the person who prays should approach God whom he prays, this is signified in the word prayer, because prayer is the raising up of one's mind to God. The second is that there should be a petition, and this is signified in the word intercession. In this case, sometimes one asks for something definite, and then some say it is 
intercession, properly so called. Or we may ask for something indefinitely, for instance, to be helped by God, or we may simply indicate a fact, as in John 11.3, Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And then they call it insinuation. The third condition is the reason for impetrating what we ask for, and this either on the part of God or on the part of the person who asks. The reason of impetration on the part of God is his sanctity, on account of which we ask to be heard, according to Daniel 9, verses 17 and 18. For thy own sake incline, O God, thy ear, and to this pertains supplication, obsecratio, which means a pleading through sacred things, as when we say, Through thy nativity, deliver us, O Lord. The reason for impetration on the part of the person who asks is thanksgiving, since, through giving thanks for benefits received, we merit to receive yet greater benefits, as we say in the Collect. Hence a gloss on 1 Timothy 2.1 says that in the Mass the consecration is preceded by supplication, in which certain sacred things are called to mind, that prayers are in the consecration itself, in which especially the mind should be raised up to God, and that intercessions are in the petitions that follow, and thanksgiving at the end. We may notice these four things in several of the Church's collects. Thus, in the Collect of Trinity Sunday, the words, Almighty Eternal God, belong to the offering up of prayer to God. The words, Who hast given to thy servants, etc., belonging to thanksgiving. The words, Grant we beseech thee, belonging to intercession. And the words at the end, through our Lord, etc., belong to supplication. In the Conferences of the Fathers, Book 9, Chapter 11 and following, we read, Supplication is bewailing one's sins. Prayer is vowing something to God. Intercession is praying for others. Thanksgiving is offered by the mind to God in ineffable ecstasy. The first explanation, however, is the better. Reply to Objection 1. Supplication is an adjuration not for the purpose of compelling, for this is forbidden, but in order to implore mercy. Reply to Objection 2. Prayer, in the general sense, includes all the things mentioned here but when distinguished from the others, it denotes properly the assent to God. Reply to Objection 3. Among things that are diverse, the past precedes the future, but the one and same thing is future before it is past. Hence thanksgiving for other benefits precedes intercession, but one and the same benefit is first sought, and finally, when it has been received, we give thanks for it. 
Intercession is preceded by prayer, whereby we approach him of whom we ask, and prayer is preceded by supplication, whereby through the consideration of God's goodness we dare approach him. End of question 83. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.